morning, if you would, turn over to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. We're going to come back to Proverbs 4 in just a second. We're going to begin in Proverbs 22. Some of y'all know uh, the experience I'm about to describe to you from uh, from your own personal experience. Some of you maybe have never experienced this before, but you may have seen somebody do it or uh, been around when it's happened. You're driving. No big deal. Just a normal day in the car, going wherever you're going. This usually happens, I will say, when it's something important, like you're on a road trip or going somewhere that you got to be there on time and something goes wrong. Lights start flashing on the dashboard something starts sounding wrong, you get that <laughs> noise, and then everything shuts it down. So you get the car pulled over to the side of the road. And most of us have no idea what's going on at that point. You know what I'm saying? But y'all notice everybody, here's what everybody does. Everybody that gets out, not everybody maybe, but most of us, you get out, you pop open the hood, and you start looking around. Now, you don't know the difference between a spark plug and anything and, and manifold whatever you don't know but you're just looking around you start touching stuff and you burn yourself a couple times somebody asks what do you think is wrong and you start naming car parts which by the way for those of y'all who are not driving yet you know that's what you do you just start naming car parts that might be broken that you've heard of in your life before but the truth is nobody knows what's going on in that moment unless you actually have had some training unless somebody has told you what it is that's wrong in whatever kind of situation, or even what those parts are and how they work together. Most of us don't get that training. And so most of us, when the crisis comes, we don't know how to deal with it. The truth is, that's how most of life is. Not most, that's how all of life is. That we hit these moments where things start breaking down, where things aren't working quite right. And we know some of the parts and we know some of the things and we lift open the hood of our hearts and our souls and our lives and we start just naming parts and thinking maybe that'll figure it out. I think one of the best things about listening to what the Lord has to say, which uh, Cliff alluded to at the beginning of our, our time here to get together, is that you don't have to be a confused, frustrated, broken down person. This is a great passage that Richard read for us from Proverbs chapter four, and I love it more and more every time I consider it. That here the father speaking to his son in the Proverbs says, hey, walk on the right path. Don't go in the way of the world. Don't go in the way of the wicked. Stick with God's way. Because, see, if you go their way, you're just going to be broken down and confused. That's such a tragic but such a real, and all of us have felt this and experienced this, or maybe you're sitting right here and you know this experience right now. They stumble, and they don't even know why. Utter darkness. Meanwhile, the path of the righteous, and righteous in the Proverbs, not somebody who never has any problems, Righteous means you listen to God and you follow him and you keep on repenting and changing to do what he says. The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the full day. There's a lot of arenas of life that we stumble. We not, are not listening to God or apart from being able to hear from God, we stumble and we don't know why. What is it that God wants from me? How am I supposed to function at work? Well, how should I talk? Is lying okay sometimes? Never? Maybe? What am I supposed to do with my money? What about whenever some sexual temptation arises? Am I supposed to work? Or it seems like other people are getting by fine without working. Should I have a good work ethic? Or is that kind of a negotiable? All these questions are things that we've tried to consider from time to time this year, uh, looking at the Proverbs. One of the uh, 
most pervasive teachings throughout the Proverbs that is beneficial to me and a comfort to me is something that every day I wake up and I think, I don't know how to do this. And if I didn't have some kind of direction, some kind of light to guide, then I would stumble and I wouldn't even know why. And that is the instruction that God gives for parents and for children. The next few minutes, I'd like us to look at God's teaching for parents and children, God's wisdom for, for parents and children in the Proverbs. This is vital for those of us who are parents to know how should we do this? There's a lot of ideas about parenting. If you wonder that, just dial up Amazon and see how many books there are about it. People are trying to figure it out. It's also important for those of us who are children. Uh, it's not like children are just these passive uh, things that parents are supposed to act upon. God gives a lot of instructions for children for how they're supposed to behave toward their parents. This is vital instruction for those who are not yet parents, who perhaps will be one day. It's better to learn about something before the car breaks down than to start Googling right there while you're on the side of the road. Go ahead and try to learn about it ahead of time so you'll be ready when the moment comes. This is also vital instruction for those of us who are not parents and may never yet be parents. Because you know who needs to help the rest of the parents to know how to do their job? Everybody. And you don't have to be a parent to tell people how to be parents. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Apostle Paul was never a parent. He had a good bit to say about it. We need everybody to listen to God's way and to do what we can to admonish and exhort each other to follow God's way of wisdom for parents and for children. So let's start in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. I think this it could be said that this is the overarching instruction for parents. And we're going to look at one for children in chapter 23 and kind of combine this to make this our central thought that we'll kind of explore on some layers. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible this morning. Some of y'all may be reading from the NIV, and I like the way the NIV actually starts this or translates this. It says, start off children in the way they should go. Start them off on the way they need to go. Um, the responsibility of parents that God has given us, and whether you think you're good at it or not, or whether you like it or not every day, this is what, this is what God told you to do. Train your children. God expects parents to train their children. Training, of course, is different than a couple of things that may be something we're tempted to do as parents. And those of you who are not parents, you need to watch out for your brethren and exhort us if you see us uh, messing up in this regard. Oh. One option that you have with your kids is just to control them, right? I'm going to like rein you in. I'm going to have you on a leash. Sometimes people literally, I'm not, uh, if you need to do leashes on your kids walking through Disney World, whatever. But that, think of that image, right? Something, that's the idea. I'm just controlling. I'm not going to train you. I'm going to control you. Right? That's not what this says. It doesn't say control your children. Of course, you know why. Number one, if you just control somebody, which is just a form of slavery or prison, whichever metaphor you'd prefer, that's not going to build anything inside. It just creates resentment. The scriptures say, fathers, do not exasperate your children or don't provoke them to wrath. So controlling your children. And maybe more importantly that eventually you're not going to be there. Even if they stay with you your whole life, which that would be that would be a swing and a miss if that happened. Probably if they stayed there forever and ever and never went out and got a job and did some things out in the world, did what they needed to do. What happens when you're gone? You pass away or they do move out and they go. Once the, the leash is let go, they haven't been trained to do anything. They were controlled, but they weren't trained. Another temptation perhaps we might have with our kids is to, uh, and I'm going to use this word, and it's probably an okay thing, but I hope you understand what I mean by saying this is, a, a, I think, a, it's not training. Uh, and that is to support your child. Now, truly, we need to be supportive as parents. 
But you may actually even see sometimes there's advertisements or billboards that'll say support your child. And what that a lot of times means is really endorse whatever impulse your child has, whatever desire they may have, whatever they may think about their life and their world. Just support them. Don't don't correct them. Don't let them know. No, no, no. You don't understand. Like you're a kid. You just don't know this yet. I need to train you in this. Just support your child. That's just as dangerous because then they're never because one day they're going to run out there in a world and you know what happens. There's going to be people who are not supportive, who are not going to be cool with their bad behaviors and their bad attitudes and their selfishness and their laziness and all that kind of stuff. So support is really not the goal of parents. God expects parents to train their children. This word train or start off your child is a really interesting word. It it only comes up, I think it's four times in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, only four times. One of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse five. Deuteronomy 20 is a passage about uh, who has to go to war and who, who doesn't. And one group of people that's told, hey, you don't have to go to war, at least for a year, are people who've just built a house. Says, hey, you just built a house. You're allowed to enjoy it, right? So don't worry. You don't have to serve in the military for a year after you build a house. I bet there were lots of people building houses all the time back then, as a side note. But anyways, in that it says, uh, after you build your house, and then there's this word that's used in Deuteronomy 20 and verse 5. It says, anyone who has built a house and has not yet dedicated it, dedicated it. That word for dedicate, or in other words, to kind of establish, to inaugurate. We finished this thing. It's built. It's done. Same word for training. I love that image for those of us who are parents, that what we're trying to do with our kids is, again, not just to control them in the moment or or to support every impulse they have, but we're trying to build them into a house. A house, by the way, that they're going to have to live in and maybe other people are going to have to live in in the future. But we're helping them be built into a life that will be meaningful and lasting and will work out for them. Now, they're going to have to do the repairs ongoing whenever crises come and natural disasters hit their house. They're going to have to fix it up and all that stuff. But if we train our children the way they should go, God says when they're old, they won't depart from it. If we dedicate them, if we build the house in a way that's in alignment with God's will. All right, what about children? Look at Proverbs 23. This is kind of the the second part to our, our fundamental principle for today. Parents are to train their children in God's ways. What are children supposed to do? Proverbs 23, verse 22, it says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. All right. So what is it that children are supposed to do? Parents God expects parents to train their children in his ways. And God expects children to submissively receive that training. God expects children to submissively receive that training. Here's what I want to say to everybody who's a child here today, under your parents' authority. Uh, And we had a meeting, the parents did. I wasn't supposed to tell this, but I'm going to tell it anyways. You don't have to obey your parents. You don't have to. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to do any of the stuff they say. You don't. Or or you can just uh, tolerate them, not really listen, play by their rules until one day I'll get out and do whatever I want. You can do that. God has given you the power as a human being to be able to make that choice. But that's a wrong and foolish and frankly ungodly choice. God's expectation of you as a child is not just to sit back and let your parents pummel you with teaching and instruction and training and more rules and more stuff. Your job is to seek that out. 
Look at what the text says in verse 22. Listen to your father, not sit there while your father or your mother teaches you and tells you and trains you. Listen. Verse uh, the second says, do not despise your mother when she is old. To despise doesn't mean you hate. It means you're just like, whatever. Like literally, that's, it's just shoulder shrug, whatever. That's what despise means. I don't think it's important. I don't value this. I don't care about what you say. Don't do that. Make the choice, child, to submissively receive the training of your parents. Look at verse 23, the responsibility given to children. By truth, do not sell it. Get wisdom and understanding and instruction. In other words, get out there. You need to ask the questions. You need to be eager to listen to that training. And you know what? Sometimes we don't know what we're doing as parents. We're doing our best. And you've got to go out there and buy wisdom, buy truth, get understanding. Consider the things that we teach. Compare them with the word of God. Discuss that because this is a child's responsibility before God. All right, so parents, God expects parents to train their children in his ways. God expects children to make the choice to submissively receive his instruction. How do we do that? How is training going to be executed? How does this submission to our parents' training, how does that work out? Go back to Proverbs chapter four. We'll try to spend the majority of our time. I think we'll have at least one or two excursions, but uh, we'll spend the rest of our time here in Proverbs chapter four. How do we go about training our children and how do we go about receiving that training from our parents? Proverbs chapter four, verse one. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Just as a side note, the book of Proverbs is a father and there's actually a place later on where a mother teaches their, their child how to live, how to behave, how to be. Um, but this section in particular really highlights the father-son, the parent-child relationship and helps us with what we're considering here. Verse two says, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. And then he recounts when he was a child, says, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the eyes of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Notice same language from chapter 23. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Here he's talking about the wisdom. He's talking about wisdom as a woman. Love her, embrace her. She's like this grandmother type figure who's going to care for you and look over you. And I'm trying to tell you what she has to say. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Notice the responsibility, if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do you notice in these verses, uh, the overarching instruction. We've kind of moved away from this uh, language of training specifically, uh, or maybe more generally, and we've gotten a little bit more specific. You notice what it is the father is trying to do for his child and what he's exhorting the child to do in response. Hero sons, the instruction. Verse two, I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Verse four, he taught me and he said, over and over, we could go through almost every single verse in this section, highlights that the perhaps the, the most impactful way, well, maybe second most impactful, we'll get to that in a minute, 
Perhaps the most impactful way that children's uh, parents train their children is through their teaching, through their instruction. Godly parents will thoughtfully instruct their children. And notice again the inverse or the, the corollary here. Godly children will listen to that instruction. Godly parents who want to train their children in God's ways are going to give instruction. In other words, you can't just hang around your kids and be a good person. That's not quite enough. That's critical. That's vital. But that's not quite enough. And actually, even those of us, because you may be sitting here, you may think, man, this is what's messed up with me. I didn't have godly parents. That's why I got all my problems. So good. I got somebody to blame for all my problems. No, you don't. First of all, you got to have a father in heaven who's training you and who's disciplining you, loves you, and is teaching you. But secondly, think about how there are things in your life, even if your parents were the most rotten people that you could imagine. Aren't there things that you still do or took from them that they told you or taught you and said, even if they didn't actually do it themselves, but you followed that wisdom and it's benefited you on the job, in your relationships, whatever arena of your life. Godly parents are going to behave in a godly manner, but they'll also give instruction to their children that they can grab onto and hold onto for the rest of their life. And godly children will eagerly listen to that instruction and take it in. There's a few different ways that the scriptures show that we should instruct and can instruct and must instruct our children. Most of them are actually in this text right here. I'm just going to give you some categories that I'm thinking about. I think all of us as parents should consider. One is commandments. One of the categories of our instruction is just commandments, instructions. Notice how he says that here in verse four. Solomon, the father here who's speaking, his father, David, said to him, verse four, let your heart hold fast my words. What words, dad? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. A lot of what we do as parents is just give commandments, give instructions. Those commandments are not for us. It's not, I want you to do this because I'm feeling a certain kind of way. No, it's because remember, we're trying to build a house. We're trying to help these kids build their house ongoing. And we're really the lead, the leader on this construction project. And we tell them what to do that will benefit them in the long term. Do this. Don't do that. Uh, another uh, type of communication that this text and others teach us that parents need to be engaged in is counsel. Not just saying, do this, don't do that, but hey, think about this. Maybe even in conjunction with the commandments. You actually see this here where he's saying, do this, don't do that. And here's a little bit of why. You need to understand this or consider that. Counsel, advice, wisdom that, uh, that parents give to their children. The passage that Richard read for us before the sermon uh, fits the next category of warning. Verses 14 through 19 are just one big warning. Hey, watch out. There's a dangerous path and there are dangerous people on that path and you need to watch out. This is the eye roll portion of conversation between parents and children, except for godly children who will not roll their eyes at their, at their parents. They'll listen, even if they think it sounds kind of bogus, kind of like those of you who've had cars before. There are things people told you, you thought, I don't need to do that. Check the tire pressure every time before I go on a road trip. Pfft, not important. And then you're on the side of the interstate with a blown out tire because you didn't listen to the warning that was given. We need to give warnings. And children, we need to receive these warnings. All right, commandments, counsel, warning. How about rebuke? This one is actually not in this text, but you see it often in scriptures that's, uh, that brought, that's brought about. And you might say there's maybe some of these in the Proverbs if you read through. But there's got to be some correction. Hey, you did not obey my commandment. You did not heed my counsel. You did not listen to the warning. You should not have done that. And you need to do better next time. And I believe you will. And you can. That leads into the next category of uh, instruction. That is encouragement. We can't just be given a bunch of rules, 
droning on about all the wisdom we have, warning about a bunch of stuff, and then getting on our children whenever they do wrong. We need to be encouragers with our kids to, to lift them up, to let them know that was good. You did a good job. Or, you know, you messed up, but you've done good before, and I know you'll do good again. We need to be encouragers. By the way, if you question whether or not we need to be serious about that, read your scriptures and notice how many are encouraging and think about where those came from. Your father in heaven who encourages you. We need to do that for our children as well. And the last one I'll say, he highlights a little bit starting in verses three and four, and that is story. Story. A lot of these things, the commandments we give, the counsel we give, the warnings, the rebukes, the encouragement, the way God does that and communicates that most frequently is in the form of story to tell people about things. We as parents need to learn to be uh, not boring and not lame storytellers to help our kids understand the truths of God and the things that matter. And giving that instruction will help them, encourage them, and strengthen. This takes a lot of investment from parents, from children. We've got a lot of competition in our schedules and in our relationships and in our interests. We've got to dedicate time to each other because that's a lot of communication that's going to happen. And I don't believe the scriptures teach us that it's something we're supposed to do you know, once a week. All right, we're going to have parent-child time, and we're going to uh, do a little coaching session here. i got some things I need to rebuke you for. That's How would you like that if that's how it went? And by the way, whether or not you'd like it or not, that's not what God said. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses was telling the children of Israel how to not only be faithful themselves, but to encourage their children to be faithful. And he said, beginning in verse 6, he said, hey, you, you guys, verse 4 and 5, you need to love the Lord your God with all you got. And then verse 6, he says, and these commandments I'm giving you, you need to talk to them, talk about them with your children. When do we need to do that, Moses? Like in church? On the Sabbath, whenever we gather for, no, no. When you walk by the way. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, if Moses was here today, when you're watching TV, when you're out there at the park playing some kind of sport, there's all kinds of little opportunities that come up when we invest time in each other as parents and children to be able to communicate about God's things. And we've got to make that a priority, make that uh, a critical thing in our lives. Now, parents, if we're going to be able to actually have something to say to instruct our children when those times come, we better be pretty well grounded in the word of God ourselves. Otherwise, we're just going to be blabbing on about a bunch of stuff that isn't going to help them. It's just our thoughts or the world's thoughts. The godly parent trains their children in God's ways, not in my way. It's the way they ought to go, which is not my way. My way is the way of a sinner. My way is the way of somebody who doesn't opens up the hood of his life every day and isn't quite sure what to do apart from the wisdom of God. We need to be people who are deeply grounded in the scriptures. And that'll help us not only just to have good things to say from God, but also to even understand what is it my kids need to hear. Uh, read through the Proverbs to see what does the, the father in Proverbs teach his children. He talks about a wide variety of topics, but some you'll notice they, this keeps coming up. This thing about sexual temptation keeps on coming up. We should probably talk about that with our kids. This thing about speech and how you talk comes up a lot, like more than a lot of things. And work ethic or how you handle money or how to deal with relationships. Whenever we see those priorities in God's word, that should help us as parents say, these are the priorities for me in how I speak to my children, how I instruct them in a way that will train them up in God's ways. All right. Parent, God, God expects parents to train their children in his ways, and he expects children to submissively receive that training. Actively, I'll say, actively, submissively receive that training. The way that it's executed day to day on the ground is through instruction. Parents need to speak to their children. Children need to listen and uh, give instruction in God's ways. Uh, but I'll say this, training is not simply a matter of giving instruction. 
Parents need to learn to become good salesmen for God's ways, for the wisdom of God's ways. Now, I know the word salesman means you trick somebody and you cheat them for your benefit. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, have you ever had somebody do the knife thing? I got a set of knives. I want to sell you. They'll never go dull. You got to see these things. And if you can invite 15 of your friends and we'll come to your house and they'll cost $8,000, but they're the best knives you've ever had and it'll be worth it. Don't worry about it. That's not the kind of salesman I'm talking about. Although sometimes I think those people really believe in those knives. They have them themselves. They use them all the time. And yeah, they're a salesman for them because they know how good they are. That's got to be us when it comes to our children. Notice, actually, part of the reason this struck, my, struck me is verse five. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Again, verse seven, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Verse eight, prize her. He's using these marketplace terminologies to talk about, hey, child, here's what you need. But here's the deal. Wisdom is expensive. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of change, a lot of humility. Why would I do that, Dad? Why would I do this stuff? All my friends are having a great time, honestly. Like, look at them. They're super happy. I know you say the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. Look at their Instagram. They're not stumbling. And they don't even care why. They're fine. And we're just fine, Dad. And there's other people that are fine. Why would we do this? Our parents, our job is to become good salesmen of the reality of this product of God's word, of his wisdom, of his ways, and why it's so far superior. Notice that a lot of this text does that. Uh, verse one, what's the sales pitch in verse one? Listen to my instruction, heed my words. You'll gain understanding. That's what you'll get. Verse four, verse 10, and verse 13, more or less make the same promise. Verse four says, keep my commandments and live, live. Verse 10 uh, uh, the years of your life will be many. Verse 13, guard instruction for she is your life. Do you want to live? I mean, in some cases, like literally live. You need to listen to me. But in other ways, just more broadly, do you want to enjoy your life long term? I know you'll, if, you, if you ignore me, my child, my son, my daughter, if you ignore me, you will have more fun. Honestly, that's not, that's not a lie. Like you will have more fun if you ignore me right now. But not for very long and not very much and not very well. If you want to really live, you need to listen to what I've got to say. We've got to learn to make the sales pitch. Verse six, uh, guarding, being protected, being watched over. Verse eight, exaltation and honor is the sales pitch. Uh, verse nine, uh, honor, a garland of grace, a crown of beauty. And uh, verse 12, when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. The, the father here is making the sales pitch. I got good things for you if you'll just listen to me. We've got to learn to not only impart instruction to our children, but the scriptures teach us that we've got to learn to be good salesmen as well. Uh, now, making the sales pitch for the goodness of, of God's ways is why the Proverbs, I think, so often command that parents discipline their children. I'm just going to read these with very little comment, but I just want to impress upon us as parents and frankly, as children, the next time your parents discipline you, Understand they're just being obedient to God and God loves all of us and God wants the best for us. This is why we're doing it. Look at these, Proverbs 13. We're gonna come back to Proverbs 4 in just a second, but Proverbs 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Chapter 19, 
Proverbs 19 and verse 18. Proverbs 19 and verse 18. Discipline your son while there is hope. And do not desire his death. Or some, I think the NIV says, do not be a willing party to his death. Don't just stand by while your child ruins their life. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Oh, it's not necessarily because children are bad. We just don't know. You've never been a kid before. You've never been five years old. You've never been 16 before you. So it's, there's foolishness. So what's the parent's job? Verse 15. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will be glad and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. This is a rescue mission. Just like that person selling those knives is trying to rescue you from your trashy old knives you've been using. And maybe even if they're a real believer in that knife set, they're trying to rescue you from injury. That's how these little presentations go, right? They're doing that. They're like just mowing down carrots, potatoes, whatever. And then they say, hey, do you have any knives in your drawer? And you sheepishly go get your trash knives. They're like, yeah, why don't you try? You cut and I'll cut. We'll see who can cut the most the fastest or something like that. And then what happens is you end up chopping off the tip of your finger because that knife doesn't work. And that's their point. Watch out. That's what discipline is. We say, hey, watch out. It's a rescue mission. I want to say this. Um, there are times whenever his parents, uh, you know, we talked about rebuke. Obviously, in these texts, there's an element of punishment for wrongdoing. But this is not, uh, this is a million miles away from worldly abuse. Worldly abuse grows out of the mentality of, I just want to control my child. And if they're out of control, I'm going to beat them up just to let them know, make sure they don't do that again. Or just to get out my anger, my frustration with how small of a person I am. I'm going to do that. Notice that's not the point here. Whoever loves his child, remember 1324? If you hate your child, you don't discipline, you withhold the rod. But if you love them, you discipline them. Here in chapter 23, you're not trying to destroy or harm even honestly a child. That's sinful. That's wrong. What's being talked about here is a rescue mission to wake somebody up, to help them to understand consequences for actions they're taking. One more on this before we uh, finish up this little section here. Chapter 29, verse 15. Proverbs 29 and verse number 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way, the child who is merely supported in whatever impulse he may have, the child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Now you read verse 16, you're like, that's not a parenting verse. That's just a general truth. And it is, but notice it's sandwiched between verse 15, a child about parents and children, and verse 17. The implication I think is verse 16 is watch out parents. Train up your child in the way they should go. Don't let them run headlong into wickedness. Verse 17 finishes the thought. Correct your son. Don't let him go in the way of the wicked. And he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Whenever we as parents take on the responsibility God has given us to lovingly, carefully, thoughtfully, not out of anger or any kind of emotion other than genuine compassion and care, Whenever out of those motivations we discipline our children, 
We're doing it for their benefit. We're trying to make the sales pitch. You understand what I'm saying? Whenever we uh, punish children, whether that's uh, a, a controlled and, and very appropriate spanking, whether that's removal of privileges, whether that's a verbal rebuke, whatever kind of discipline that may be enacted on a child, it's trying to say, hey, that behavior you just did, this is where it leads. I don't want that for you. I want something better for you. You're making the sales pitch. Watch out. Don't go in that path. This is the kind of this is a tiny, tiny taste of the bad consequences that come with the behaviors you're choosing. On the other hand, positive discipline that we give, words of affirmation of actions that children take in a good way, rewards for good behaviors, all those kinds of things is, again, a sales pitch. Hey, you're making good choices. You're listening to what God has to say. This is going to benefit you. The reason God wants us to discipline our children is for their good, not because of our impulses. And I'll just say this. I mean, at least I can say this for me. And I don't know about you guys. I know for me, I have to be real careful about, hey, I'm not allowed to talk to the kids right now. They actually misbehaved. And in five minutes, I got to come back and talk to them about this. But right now, I'm just mad at them. I don't really care about them. I just care about me. So I can't talk to them right now. That's not right. That's not good. And whenever I do, it's time to make an apology. It's time to go sit down and say, hey, I need you to forgive me. I apologize. I spoke to you in an inappropriate way. That was wrong. Because parents, we're not trying to just take out our own anger or frustration or whatever. We're not just trying to have children that are under our control. We're training them through godly instruction by making the sales pitch for them to acquire wisdom and to enjoy their life uh, in the Lord forever. All right, but what is it that we're really training? What is all this instruction? What is this sales pitch really all about? Is it that they become financially stable? Is it that they become well-respected among their peers? By the way, you'll find these things in the Proverbs as, as goals that the, that the parent gives to their child. Is it that they have a happy marriage and family? Is it, what is it? Go back to Proverbs 4. And you probably noticed it, and if you didn't, it was, it was hiding right there in plain sight. It's funny, actually, coming into this text, I knew one verse, and I knew this was going to be an important point we needed to think about for a couple minutes. Verse 23. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. Here the father says to his child, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart. It's all about the heart. But you know, this isn't actually the only place. Like I said, there's other references to the real central focus of the training that parents do to their children. It's all about the heart. Back up just a couple verses. Verse 20 says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Of course, you can see the imagery here. If you accept wisdom in your heart, the metaphor is it'll radiate out into every aspect of your body or your life. It'll take over everything for your good. But that's not the only time he talks about this being the central focus. Back up to verse four. What is it? that Solomon recounted his father David teaching him. Here's the words that he remembered. Verse four. Then he, that is my father, David, he taught me and said to me, let your heart, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. We're not just going for behavior modification. We're not just going for the ability to recite some rules and regulations that are for wise living or how to live in this house. We're not looking for our children even to honor our family name or something, although that's good. If your name is honored, the, the scriptures teach that. 
we're not even just looking for them to say, I was going to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am, but I'm pretty sure around here, there's not many families where that's the thing. But from some of us who live or foreigners, we have to still talk that way. That's not the point. What we really want is for all of our hearts to be devoted to the Lord. I was thinking about Solomon recounting David as kind of the basis for a lot of this instruction he gives to his child. David was called in the scriptures by God, a man after God's own heart. His heart was devoted to God. His heart was oriented toward God. His heart was a godly heart. And that's what, that's what David therefore says, hey, my son, this is what it's all about. It's about having a heart for God. And here Solomon passes that on to the next generation and tells us as parents, hey, train your children's heart. And children, this is what we're going for. This is what you need to be striving for is to have a heart for God. You know, it's amazing to me, though, that Solomon still cared to repeat what his father had to say about this being the central focus. Because this man who is a man after God's own heart, I almost did air quotes, but that would diminish it. God said this about David. All right. He was a man after God's own heart. Solomon's birth was because his father stole Solomon's mother away from another man, had the man killed, tried to cover it up because Solomon, well, Solomon would come, his, his older sibling died soon after birth. That's the man. Solomon grew up watching his father let his older brother commit heinous crimes against his half-sister. He then watched his father just kind of implode whenever another one of his older brothers led a coup d'etat to take over the country. And then, and yet Solomon still thinks it's worth repeating what his father had to say. How's that even possible? Parents, let's never get it twisted. God may have given us the responsibility to train and instruct our children, but we're still sinners in need of the grace of God. who are striving every day to have our hearts directed toward God more and more each day. We need our brothers and sisters to correct us whenever our hearts are being exposed as being ungrateful or angry or wrong, especially in relation to our children, perhaps. But also, children, I'll just say this. The expectation of God is never that your parents were going to be perfect people. The expectation is that you submit yourself to them in the Lord. That's what Ephesians 6 says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Your parents start telling you to do stuff that's wrong according to God. Listen, you got to work that out in a respectful way, but don't obey them if they're telling you to disobey God. But know that they're going to mess up a lot. They're not going to always discipline you properly. Sometimes the instruction they give may be faulty. It may not be in alignment with God's will. Sometimes they may be a little lazy about their training or they may be whatever. Trust God. Submit to your parents. Take all the good that you can from them so that you'll grow up to be someone who has a heart for God yourself. That's what the whole thing is about. That's what all of our instruction, our counsel, our commandments, our rebukes, our discipline, all the things we do as parents has to be both for us to have a heart for God more and more each day and that our children would be devoted to him fully. None of us as parents know uh, how things are going to go in the lives of our children. We'd like to. We don't know what kind of experiences they're going to have or obstacles they're going to face or what kind of influences they're going to have to deal with. We just don't know. And not only do we not know, we can't dictate or control or really influence any of that. Frankly, in this moment, we have a pretty limited capacity for that and certainly in the future. But that's fine. Because the fate 
of every human being is not based on the environment or the circumstances or even necessarily the people that come across our paths. The thing that dictates our destiny is whether or not our heart is devoted fully to God or whether it's caught up in the things of the world. So may God help us as children to seek a heart that would be for God. And may God help us as parents to have a heart for God ourselves and to impart that to our children as God has instructed us to. With godly training, true instruction from his word, always making the sales pitch for the beautiful things that God offers us so that their hearts will be for him. We're not in competition as parents and children. Most of the time, parents and children, it's, a, it's portrayed as an adversarial relationship. It's not. We're all on the same path. We're all trying to get to the same place. And that's back into the home of our heavenly father. That's why Jesus came. That's why this word is given to us. That's why we gather for worship. That's why everything we do is that every single one of us would walk on that path of righteousness that grows brighter and brighter until the full day.